1: It's time to walk to the back of the stand where the truth is really told. I'm Mark Saggers, and on the Sunday Nightclub, we delve into the sports that matter, the controversial discussions that others aren't brave enough to have. This week, in this episode, where the fans and foe can't be bought. Open, honest, difficult, brave debate. A shout in North London at Arsenal for the Scousers, or not? And what about West Ham? Were they hammered at Old Trafford or not? England's Italian rugby job, just. A plague on all our sports. The truth from my COVID conversation with Professor Bill Ribbons. And that second test in India? Angus Fraser, off his long run, kept in check by Burnsy. And to the big games this weekend. And my word, it was an important weekend all round. And as far as today goes, well... Uh, There's been some great action. Some of it's gone the way that we thought it might. Others hasn't. And there is only one place to say where we start, and that's in North London at the Emirates, because could Arsenal actually really get it together and show Liverpool that they still mean business. They absolutely did this today by beating them by three goals to one. A little bit of a helping hand, one or two might say, from Liverpool keeper Alisson, particularly when he got into a mix-up with uh, Virgil van Dijk. But let's hear from the people that really know, the Arsenal fans and the Liverpool fans. And Slim Will Williamson is the Anfield South podcast man and Richard Butler Uh, as well with over at Arsenal, who will be smiling tonight. Gentlemen, A very good evening to you. And if I come to you first, uh, Richard, uh, just what you needed in North London.
2: It was, yeah. I mean, a little bit unexpected. I've got to be honest. I wasn't overly confident that we could win the game. I thought, well, you know, I'll take a draw. Would have kept us in touch. But to win win tonight was so important because to cut that gap to two points at this point in the season puts us in a really good position. And I do think that the, the winter break for us came at a good time. We were maybe struggling a little bit beforehand, losing some games, and we seem to have got it together, and um, we now look as though we're heading back in the right direction. And it was a strange game today, actually, in many ways. Some of the goals, you know, the Liverpool goal was mistakes at the back, and it was, you know, two of the top teams in the league, and yet there was some Sunday League defending thrown in there as well, wasn't there? And some craziness went on the red card and what have you, but... Sometimes these games, you know, it is small margins, isn't it? And I thought today there wasn't a lot to choose between mm. the teams. Arsenal had good spells in the game. Liverpool had a really good spell at the start of the second half. And, you know, we dug in and found a way to win. And, yeah, people will say that the second goal, the crucial goal, really was a, a real mix-up, wasn't it, from mm. Alisson and, and Van Dijk. And that doesn't happen very often. But you've got to be there to take those opportunities. martinelli was, and I felt that maybe over the ninety five minutes, whatever it was, ninety-seven mm. minutes, we maybe just about deserved that little bit of luck that we got today. And it was so important because I say two points now we're right back in it and it's it's exciting, isn't it? It brings that title race. You know, if Liverpool had won today, eight points that really puts us out of it. Then it's just Liverpool and Man City again, which we've seen time <laughs> after time again. At least it kept it's kept it more interesting. Whether we can go on and Patch Liverpool and Man City, will have to wait and see. But it certainly kept kept it interesting today. And it was a great game as well, I thought I know the gold was, was a bit strange, but it was a great game mm. overall, wasn't it? You know, two yeah. good teams going for it, trying to win it. And in the end, we just managed to come out on top. That's what
1: I liked about it, Slim, as well. I mean, in, in a way, you got back into it with a gift from Arsenal yourselves.
3: Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, but I have to say that is the worst 90 minutes of football I've watched us play so far this season. I mean, we didn't show up. I mean... I agree with you. I don't think Arsenal were much better, but I think where they were better were in the midfield, they were braver on the ball, uh, playing forward, nice little combinations in their midfield, you know, just trying to counter attack with Martinelli and Saka. And yeah, we gifted them the goals, really. We, I don't know, I'm I mean, at I a loss to explain where we were today. We, we didn't show up. That's not the Liverpool that has been playing the last four or five games that I've seen. So yeah, I mean, well done to Arsenal. And like you said, it does keep it interesting, but yeah, I don't think Arsenal have what it takes to go the distance, especially with the Champions League coming back into it as well. I think it's going to take its toll on them. But today, they were better than us. They deserved the three points. I'm not going to argue. I think there's a lot of uh, questions that need to be asked of uh, the senior players. I mean, what happened to just dealing with the situation, Van Dijk leaving it for Allison. I think in that situation, was... you just deal with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, was there, there any way, in a way, you know, after all the big announcements, everything that's... Uh, happened with the manager and the boss and he had to come out when it looked as if newspapers might spoil it even though the club has known since november that this was to be Jurgen Klopp's last season do you think that, that that's affected the players in any way that they've had quite a busy week with all of this too or not
3: i, I don't think so because i think they would have known for a while as well I, I don't think it would have been the information that would have been kept to management i think the players would have known as well so i think i don't think that is i think if anything, it would have galvanised them to to do better and do something for the bosses last season. And I think you could see the home games that we played, like Chelsea and Norwich in the Cup, you could see, you know, everyone was up for it and doing, you know, the, even the crowd. And I think today was a big test for me, being away from home, not having the crowd behind how we would react. And yeah, we we didn't react well. So yeah, I guess we got what we deserved. I don't think... Klopp leaving plays a part in that. I think it's just a really bad day at the office and you have to take these ones on the chin. We're still top of the league, still games to play. It's still kind of ours to lose, if you like. Yep, City's still got to come point. to Anfield. So, yeah, we beat City at home. Then it, we're not even talking about this game. So, yeah, yeah. onwards and upwards.
1: Uh, in the end, uh, West Ham United, and I will start with you, Sean, if I may, didn't really turn up today.
4: I'm going to shock you. Mark, I'm going to say it's one of our better performances of the season. Okay. Um, The result didn't go our way, (laughs) but the performance, you know, we've not turned up to a lot of games. I thought our performance was good. We just didn't take our chances. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought Man United goals were actually, a lot of them were against the run of play. You know, they'd snatch that counter and scored and good luck to them you know the result is what matters but actually a lot of West Ham fans are saying afterwards when you look at the number of chances and you look at the stats actually we performed a lot better it just didn't happen for us
1: well okay just this one, more, one, one more for you on that before we talk about Manchester United with Pete as well here um, I know only too well having a sister and brother-in-law who are both season ticket holders at West Ham is that uh, they will all be thinking the same as as you guys and and, and the likes of uh, Jack and John and uh, uh, all sorts of others who've been on uh, Social Media X. If you want to get involved from what you hear from any of our podcasters or from me or others uh, as well on the show, is that it? it's when you don't take your chances, you really need another man up there, don't you?
4: Yeah, look, we're missing Pakatar, who who we believe is going to be out for another four weeks. Um, it, that's really painfully obvious. Meccao um, Antonio uh, is running on grass again. He should be back. Uh, it didn't happen for Boeing. Boeing should... Well, I say that's being unfair, Man United, because it was an excellent block. But, you know, usually he puts those away. Maybe one touch too many. Who knows if we'd have made it 2-1. Maybe had a penalty shout with a... Uh, arm round the neck on um, Alvarez. But, you know, you, you, as you said, you've got to take your chances. I think with pacatar coming back and Antonio coming back, it may change things. Uh, I don't expect too much against Arsenal at home next week uh, after seeing them tonight. Uh, but, you know, it's a long season. And um, the performance was slightly heartening. I know that might sound strange after losing 3-0, but the performance That's... was slightly heartening. Well, this is why you're on, you see,
1: because uh, you guys tell it as it is from the, from the heart as well as from the head. Pete, um, e- Eric ten Hag, I, I always smile at what he says. He, he's talking now about it. he could see the potential in this team. But mind you, he had a couple who uh, did what they had to again for you today, didn't he?
5: Oh, oh Yeah. I think the potential's there, Mark. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it it was there before Christmas, but it, there was just no sign of it. There was no manifestation of it. On paper, it looked a very good team. Individuals, we knew they were good players, but it just wasn't coming together. Um, at, at the moment, you know, the potential's there, but I, I'd say we were measuring progress in inches rather than yards at the moment, Mark. Um, January has been a good month for us, uh, and February so far. Because we started not not just to score goals and not just to win matches. Of course, that's important, and yeah. any fan wants. But the thing we want Old Trafford more than anything, and I'm sure again, all fans would say this. You know, is for United to go forward with power and pace excite us get us on the edge of our seats or on our tiptoes if we're standing up and and that's been missing badly in the first half of the season now we, we're seeing it we're going forward quickly you can see the difference in the service that uh, Hoyland's getting uh, the chances we're creating and so th- th- there's been a I'd say a, a, a sea change in this p- first month of the year but let, let's see what happens but we're we're quietly more optimistic than maybe a month ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned Hoyland. I mentioned ganacho as well. Uh, two hmm. very young players who, uh, when I've... Uh, I like to find out a little bit about how Ten Hag was going to be with the press afterwards. And, of course, he's he's uh, wrapped them on the knuckles today, saying, you know, I've been telling you that we're, we're buying for the future here. This is now... And, and in some ways, he's right, isn't he, that Manchester United have had this woeful period with swapping and changing ever since uh, Sir Alex Ferguson was manager that they needed to sort something out rather than do the immediate thing and get it wrong so many times.
5: Yes, definitely. Sometimes you have to realise that um, it's an engine change rather than just a tweak of uh, some of the spark plugs. Um, There's no doubt we've had to clear out a few what I would call bad eggs. We won't go into names. People know them. Uh, that just that have let themselves down but and let the club down but most importantly let the fans down it's getting players around him now who've got experience and want to play for the club and probably more importantly for the long term young lads who want to play for the club uh, and are able and we're seeing that obviously with Boyland with, uh, mm. and Ganacho. main news come on the side he's got Gore, Reforson and Kimwala uh, there um, It. it Fergie took a while to build a very, very good side. Matt Busby did. If you're going to build something that's not on sand, but it's on stone, it takes a while to do it. And you've got to get the right calibre of player in, but also the person with the right attitude. And I think Ten Hag is getting that. And I think we hopefully we're seeing the green shoots of that.
0: Mm.
1: I think as well uh, for West Ham United, uh, Slim, and uh, and quite rightly, you gave me a wrap on... uh, I don't shouldn't what did I say there? Did I call you slim? I did. I shouldn't have done. Sean, you can uh, wrap me on the knuckles for two things actually. Well I've just looked up here that you had thirteen efforts on goal today. I mean yeah. that's away yeah. from home, that's decent.
4: Yeah, no, it's it it was promising and you know, but you know, you don't get anything if you don't take your chances. Look, David Moyes has never won. Uh Pete will know this. David Moyes has never won at Old Trafford since he's left as manager. Yeah. Uh, a bit like the uh, Liverpool and Anfield. So, you know, our expectations weren't high. I, I know that um, Man United have been going for a bit of a purple patch, but you never take anything for granted. And and they turned up today, fair play to them. And, you know, that they did take their chances. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think we, if you look at the stats and, you know, some people do and don't like them, we were more likely... Uh, throughout all of it, to, to score the next goal. But it didn't happen. So, you know, bookies are wrong.
1: Now, when I picked uh, this up from what Keith and uh, Mark, our two resident referees, um, were talking about, uh, a referee was hit by a smoke bomb and a steward punched by a fan A match in the National League descended to chaos on Sunday. Barnett hosted Wealdstone in the game that could have seen the hosts move into the top two of the league table with victory as they looked to secure a long-awaited return to the Football League. Dean Brennan's side led 1-0 thanks to a goal from Callum Stead but were unable to hold on to the three points, conceding a 100-minute goal from Corey Andrews that sparked jubilant scenes in the away end. That wasn't quite actually the real story of all of this because it was an absolute nightmare. Now Barnet have made a statement today and I'm going to read some of this out before I come to Mark and uh, obviously to Keith, because uh, this sort of thing uh, just can't continue. So Barnet Football Club can confirm that several individuals involved in yesterday's appalling incident have been identified and charged by the police. They will be banned indefinitely From the club. The club strongly condemns the actions of the Wealdstone fans involved at the closing stages of yesterday's match and the thousands of pounds worth of damage once again caused to the Hive Stadium. Unfortunately, this is an ongoing and escalating problem with various groups. Wealdstone fans are involved in multiple criminal acts, they say including assault, entering the field of play, throwing flares, missiles, causing criminal damage. We've expressed our serious concerns over the past few seasons in relation to this match. We will continue to work closely with the relevant regulatory bodies and Metropolitan Police throughout the remainder of the investigations. We can confirm that no serious harm was suffered by that steward who was attacked, and we thank all of those involved in ensuring the safety of all fans and staff on the day, they're not going to be making any comment further now. You know, I mean, what's going on, Keith?
6: Well, I think it's serious. I mean, um, in fairness to the club, I think they've been open and transparent. And I think they recognise that there is a problem. And I think they've tried to identify that and the police are involved. But we see this growing thing, don't we? we? We were at West Brom versus Wolves last week when we would we were saying there that there's no doubt that secondary ticketing was at the source of that particular problem. And the photographs that we showed later were spectators with blood streaming from their heads and players and hmm. uh, police officers and stewards at risk. Um, I think the authorities have really got to look at this. I think the FA has got to call it in. Um, and they've got to, with the National League, who are a responsible body, to really say how can we avoid this escalating, how can we avoid this in the future? Yeah. And, it, and it really is are we moving to a situation, Mark, where this game
1: is played
6: behind closed doors?
1: I think, as well, uh, Mark, and I'm, you know, to, to take you both back in a way, I've covered uh, football hooliganism um, mm. before the Premier League started and everything else, and you both will know exactly what was going on at that time with running battles everywhere. But I think it's fair to say in a way, it is an angry country again at the Mm. moment in so many different ways. And football, in many ways, has always been an outlet for this. And we've seen it at international level with the final of what should have been a showpiece at Wembley. There is, uh, the the fans who want them are are littered with uh, Drugs at the moment, that they were an, an alcohol which fuels their, their so called bravery, and everything goes on. And you know, I, I can talk as well of having watched and covered an awful lot of this. And it's only a matter of time if at these lower league clubs, where there's stewards thankfully not hurt, or match officials as well as everybody else. And again, it puts in difficulty those that want to come in and do what you guys um, have done f- as a profession so very well and had so many great times as well as one or two mm. difficult ones as well, Mark.
7: Yeah, listen, I think in all my years of, of refereeing at the highest level, even in non-league, I, I've never experienced any sort of crowd trouble or fighting or, or anything. And it just seems to be, over the last few years, creeping back into the game, doesn't it? And I think it's absolutely shocking. I mean, what happened with Barnett and Willstone? Obviously, they knew this was going to happen, so surely they should get more policing. I know it's going to cost more money, but they have they have to take these these precautions. And even this weekend, we've had racist abuse of Birmingham City players, at AFC Wimbledon players. When's it going to stop? When's it going to stop?
1: And I think you mentioned you mentioned they're having to get the the police in. Uh, of course, now the clubs themselves have to uh, pay for policing uh, if they well, do get it, them in. And Keith, this is. You know, lower down is, is is not easy, and is causing a problem.
6: No, there's no doubts. I mean, and, and of course, the, the disappointment here, Mark, is that the game at the grassroots level is attracting more spectators yeah. because it it's in effect a truer game. It, it, it's you know we we get less ducking and diving, and and cheating that goes on at the very top level. Uh, but here in this game, allegedly the the, the linesman was uh, sorry. The referee was also hit with a smoke mm. bomb, mm. and and however that is, um, you know the referee has to be sacrosanct. He has to be protected. He's got a job to do, and the lead, you know Mark and I walked onto the pitch with no fear,
8: no.
6: and that's got to be the case for the modern referee. Mm. They've got to be able to go onto the pitch, not fearing that they've got to deal with these type of
1: events, yeah. but they've got to prepare for them. I completely agree but, with that. And, and i have just put my, my uh, go on then, Mark.
7: But Suggs, you know, saying that at that game at Barnet-Wolf stuff, they knew it was going to be problems. I mean, I'm not sure what, 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 how, how, how high the gate was now or how many people were there, but surely <laughs> they can do this as they're coming in, search, search them, search them. Search them if they, yeah, and well, they be- well all,
1: all I will say with all of this, it's, um, and I've seen it at the very highest level as well, as I mentioned with Wembley, yeah. before that Wembley Euro final, from the very first moment I walked up to a game, you know, at the end of COVID, looked at at how close fans could get to within Wembley Stadium without tickets, and looking at the young teenagers who were stewarding areas, yeah. um, who should patently—I'm um, not saying they shouldn't be doing those jobs. Of course, you know, they—they they go. It's. Uh, a good place for a lot of people who who get work. But they've got to be able to know what they're doing and those around them to help. And I think this is up to, as you've said, the Football Association and the Premier League working very closely with the clubs and the police and everything. Because if they don't do this, we are going to have another real tragedy. We definitely are. We're seeing now, aren't we, so much more violence in everyday life. We are going yes, to have yes. more at football grounds. And th- that we must think that football now, like a lot of these things, can't just put its head in the sand. It's got okay. to start sorting this out with the police up and down the country. Only, uh, oh, well, only the other day again, there was a, a riot on a train Uh, where lots of people at the station that I was standing at were going to get on that train. It was very much delayed. And then nobody there wanted to get on that train anyway because there'd been real problems.
6: Uh, I think what is disappointing is that it focuses on football, Mark, because this weekend we've seen rugby, full stadiums, um, fans uh, almost sitting side by side. In what is a brutal game? There's no question for me that rugby is a brutal game. Hmm. And we actually saw a red card being issued. That would have ignited problems at a football game, but it doesn't in rugby. And I think we've just got to look carefully at how the police, how the, the stewarding, and how the FA can actually say, right, okay, we have a reputation as a country following all the problems that you and I experienced in the 70s and 80s, have been able to police these games very successfully. Yeah. And we've gone around the world offering security advice to other leagues around the world that I know yeah. the FA have done. I'd, but we've now got to take it seriously. This is a... Yeah, this is yeah, Mark, Mark,
1: Mark, one of the things I would like to say to you here yeah. as well now is that let's put yourself as if you were in the, still refereeing at the moment. There is, without doubt for me, and always has been with all the brilliant referees that I've known, that you feel responsible not only for your team, but also for the players when you are involved in that game. And-
7: Absolutely. I mean, players', players safety is paramount, along, obviously, along with officials. And,
9: hmm.
7: you know, obviously, we saw the other week a, a fan run on so far at, at Port Val at, without being checked. And, and, and this, this just shouldn't happen. Um, I think that, you know, obviously the FA do the investigations and, and I think the club's responsible, if they're found guilty of not providing adequate protection for the players, officials, yeah. the fans, fines are no good. Start start deducting points. Mm. Start yeah. deducting That's points. Point. That will sort it out. Well,
1: yeah. that you know, that was something we needed to cover. But I also want to cover here again, I think it's just becoming an absolute nonsense now. And it's creeping into the uh, not just the championship, but into leagues one and two, where every time there's an in- incident at the corner or what have you, and there's a quick, sharp break by the opposition, players are now going down and they oh. are patently not injured.
6: Correct.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, Mark, we're
6: seeing acts of simulation. And we're actually, you know, today we've seen a referee officiate Arsenal versus Liverpool and he produced a plethora of yellow cards because of, if you like, the lack of self-discipline by players going to ground or even fouling in some instances. And it makes, you know, this is not the game that we want to see. We want to see their quality of technical skills coming out to the fore. But it's it sort of... You know, Taylor had a very experienced referee this afternoon, had to keep a lid on it. Mm. And he he sensibly slowed things down and used all his experience. But if a a young referee had been thrown into that particular game, that might have got really quite nasty. Uh, You know, and I I worry about those things. But But fortunately,
7: it was a good appointment. Keith, also, players have got to look at their actions because sometimes the players' actions does incite the crowd. Yeah. and the, you yeah, know they—they've got to act in a professional manner and it set an example to all those youngsters that are watching. I mean, at the end of the game, we saw an officer player knock the flag out of the assistant's hand. I mean, why is he going over there to do Why is he going over to remonstrate with the assistant over a, a throw? A throw. Yeah. Just get yeah. on with it, and it deservedly got a yellow card.
1: Yeah. Well, one yeah. one of the other things for me, and it was a—you know—I understand at the beginning of the season when it came in, we and we still have at times seven, eight, nine, ten minutes of injury time. But it's, it's, there's a lot of guesswork going on here now. And I understand from referees, particularly if at the end, at all levels, if it's a heated match and things have gone on during it, how much you're actually going to add to this. The clock, whatever anybody says, that stopped as soon as the goalkeeper goes down as if he's been shot or the defender who's come up for the corner suddenly is uh, rolling around in agony just to make sure that uh, the the break on by the opposition doesn't get anywhere. Yeah. Uh, unless you well, have a clock, you know, it uh, I, there is way more time being wasted now, and it just gets in the way, of the flow of the game. It does. Yeah, I think I the you, like you can't his, both talk at once. No, Keith first, then Mark. Go on. Keith, Uh, you
6: Yeah, right. I mean, sorry, Mark. I mean, I I think that um, in terms of those that feign injury, I've come to the conclusion that the game should carry on and the medics should be allowed on. Like rugby. Like rugby. Just come on. Treat them and just see how quickly. Then what they have to do is they've been treated on the field. They then have to come off and then they'll stand at the side for a minute At the moment it's 30 seconds, but a minute. Mm. So I think that I think we've got to shape the laws to try to prevent these things occurring on the field of play. And Mark is absolutely right. You know, I I suspect that in that Barnet Wheelston game, I'm supposing that a goal has been scored and players have moved towards fans, as they did in the West Brom Wolves game. And the consequence of that is this explosion that takes place with fans wanting to vent their fury, So, you know, whilst people say we're being churlish as referees, cautioning players who leave the field of play, it's there for that particular reason, to stop a crowd surge and those kids, and that's the fearful bit. Children who've come to the game that we want to encourage to watch the game, being deterred from it in terms of fear of getting injured. Parents saying, I'm not going to that game, because it's got abusive, it's got aggressive and all that goes with it.
1: There Also for me, Mark, and uh, you, you don't have to answer this one. Uh, there are a lot of broadcasters now who use an awful lot of ex-footballers, men and women. Some of them are fantastic. Others mm. don't really do their homework, don't yep. really know what to say at times. And I don't think that they're helping anybody... Um, when it comes to not having done their homework on players or other bits and pieces, that you can actually patently see this cheating going on by these players week in, week out.
7: Yeah. But also, also says they need to learn the laws of the game. Yeah, we know the laws of the game as well. But it's very difficult for a referee when a player goes down because he's nice. not a medic, he's not a doctor. Now, if he does if he plays on and, and something seriously happens to that player, then who's, who's responsible? It's the referee. So the referee really has no alternative. But if a player stays down, he's really got to he's really got to stop the game. But as for the, as for the goalkeepers, I know it's one of your pet hates. It's one of mine. Where they well, you are a ball. you
1: were a goalkeeper. I
7: know, I know, I know. But it's one of my pet hates where they grab the ball and they just <laughs> fall to the ground. But I know the IFAB are looking at a new law bringing. Yes. Up. Uh, I think it's about ten seconds. I think isn't it, yeah. Keith? Now. And uh, yeah, they're, going to, go, they're going
6: to go for eight seconds.
1: Yeah. Eight and seconds then
6: they're going to really overcomplicate it because they want, yeah. they want it enforced, Yeah, they're going to overcomplicate well, it
1: by either awarding a, cor- a corner kick or an indirect yeah, kick. I'll tell you what though, there's less than eight seconds to go here. Thanks as always, boys. Four goals in 12 minutes. Thank you very much. Huddersfield Town finished Sheffield Wednesday off. Delighted to say that Dan Fudge, the Wednesday uh, man is uh, with us right now. Good evening to you, Dan.
10: How's it going, Mark? You all
1: right? Thanks yeah, very well indeed. It's great to have you on it, and um, welcome to the Sunday Night Club, Johnny Johnny Gillespie, uh, and uh, he takes that chance podcaster as well. Uh, good to have, you? And uh, happy for you guys uh, tonight. Not so good and easy for Sheffield Wednesday, but um, what an extraordinary twelve minutes.
10: I, I, I yeah,
1: I, can't, I I I i
10: still I don't think I've processed it yet, Mark. If I'm honest, I, you know I. I I don't know if this fella's come down off the ceiling or whatever, because, I mean, in terms of a six-pointer, that you know, that's it's towards the back end of the season, we're well into February, it had, it had everything going for it, local derby
1: and everything, and uh, 12 minutes of madness and it's all fallen to bobbins. Yeah, well, t- t- tell us about it, Johnny, then. I mean, did, had you created very much more than Wednesday had by that stage?
11: No, I mean, in fairness, I think the first half was, was two poor teams who kind of were struggling to play football, really. Neither could have made two or three passes before the session turned over. So we kind of went in at halftime with not a lot of shouts about, really. I think other than if you were a sheffield fan, you'd probably have turned off the game. Um second half was a, much for muchness, but probably a, li- a little bit better. I think I think that um, Worthington, our manager said that, well interim manager said that he kind of thought the first half would be quite tight and then kind of would actually look to push a little bit in the second half. Um, I think we started to see that, but no wasn't expecting um the twelve minutes of madness as you put it <laughs> to be quite like it was but yeah certainly elation for us like like um down today was a massive game so yeah couldn't couldn't help to kind of get a better result really
1: uh, and really that's so important for the club, isn't it where you're just sort of keeping yourselves above that problem at the moment
11: yeah, absolutely I think we've we've been twenty first now for i think forever and um, we've quite stapled into that position and I, I, uh, some 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 games have been quite annoyed to still be there. This is a game we're definitely happy to still be there. Um, so, yes, yeah, a huge game. It's a six-pointer. Potentially kind of makes two two teams now gone and everyone's looking for that third spot. Not to come over to talk too soon. There's a long way to go. But I think certainly it, it bridge, puts a big gap between us and, and like, the likes of Wednesday and Rotherham. It was an absolute um, must-not-lose for us. And certainly a win helps even more.
1: And of course... Um... For Sheffield Wednesday, and we will talk about the FA Cup in just a moment, both yourselves and, uh, as mentioned there, Rotherham United, really, you've conceded so many goals. So many. So
10: many. I'm losing count. I'm losing count. I I, I think what's happened is, Mark, as well, as as Johnny said, everybody seems to have been in the same place now for about... 12 weeks there, there's been a lot of flattering to deceive there's been there's been wins there's been draws and we feel great and we're like yeah this is great and then a week later you look at the league and we're we're still back where we started um Danny Rule has has been you know he's been great when he's come in he's he really seems to have got the fans behind him and he's got some of the, what can only be described as the average signings we made in the summer play a little better but um but we're still no we're still nowhere Anywhere better off, and it and it just seems to be a little bit frustrating. And then and then, like Johnny says, you know, Saturday was a uh, a must not lose game, Um, and we didn't just lose; we 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 fell to pieces. It it was it was very uncharacteristic. But there has been one or two results such as that in rules tenure Mm.
0: um,
10: that 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 have kind of crept through. You know, uh, I want to say uncharacteristic, but given the way our season's been going. They're, they're par for the course now. I don't you know. I don't think anybody's uh, anybody surprised anymore when it comes to Sheffield Wednesday.
1: now Well, what about Huddersfield Town as uh, well? I mean, both of you now, like the rest of the league, we're two thirds of the way through the season, but still sixteen uh, uh, games to go. And important for you at Huddersfield, this sort of result can really change everything around in a moment. Gives real belief to this side.
11: Yeah, it does. Uh, I mean, obviously. It, it... Some could look at the new manager bounce. Obviously we've got a kind of elephant in the room with, with Darren Moore, obviously extra for Wednesday as well. Um, but I think yeah it, it we have only had six wins all season. Um so to kind of come and kind of to kind of get back on Monday and the players gonna I mean, there's more camaraderie. They're happy. They've won a game. We've got a massive game at the weekend South against Southampton. T- <laughs> it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough. So it takes a bit of pressure off there as well. Um, do you know what I mean? Having won at Saturday, but yeah. Hopefully, it's something we can we can build as a platform and build on from there. We have had just a mini run of winnable games. We drew all three and then and then won on Saturday. So for us, it, it was massive. It was huge. So hmm. there'll definitely be that boost in the camp, and hopefully, um, if and when a new manager comes in, they can use that to kind of push on.
1: And uh, what we really like to do is to be very much part of the football league and to hear from the fans at all the different levels. So uh, we're into League One, uh, which is an important league for me as a fan as well. And uh, it was a big game uh, yesterday when it comes to promotion. And it was Bolton up against Barnsley. It finished uh, all square with Bolton getting back into it in the end and uh, won a piece. So let's hear from Ryan Latham, the uh, trotter chatter and also uh, alan smith read all over uh, youtube with barnsley alan and ryan a very good evening welcome to both of you yeah good evening thanks for having us on oh no it's always good to be a- of course uh, the lot behind the-, the glass here on the other side said the only reason i've got anybody on from bolton is because you're coming to our place on at cambridge on tuesday night and i want to find out a little <laughs> bit more about you but um in in the end really uh against the Barnsley side, I think that are in really good form. Bolton, you'll be happy enough where both sides have finished after that one.
12: Oh, yeah. We got away with it in the end. I think Barnsley came into the game knowing exactly how to deal with us and very few teams this season have known how to do that. They came in with the high press, stopped us playing our game at back and and made it very, very difficult. It was basically just a short change with the substitution that that sort of changed the, the run of play for 15 minutes. But other than that, yeah, uh, if I was a Barnsley fan, I'd be pretty gutted that they didn't come away with the three points there.
1: You look a good side to me. I've seen Barnsley this season. Um, there's absolutely no reason why you can't continue doing what you're doing at the moment,
13: Alan. There isn't. I mean, it was a tough place to go to on uh, yesterday. Sorry, uh, I think they'd won six out of the last seven. And after our game last week against Exeter, uh, what all beat us, you thought, oh, this is going to be a tough one. But Neil Collins got it right. He set his side up. We'd got Josh Earle in defence, who we'd signed from Fleetwood, who only trained once. And I thought Josh Earle were immense half-43. Uh, and then, what were it, five minutes? Uh, we got a, a goal from a throwing by Cotter, Flickon, and Devante 17th of the season. Uh, so, his leading scorer in League One. Just and, like, yeah, we, yeah. we got, him, got him up on the ropes, haven't we? We were really pushing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think as well. You know, I mean, looking where you, you were, I mean, you'll be disappointed that they, they got back into uh, the game. But as far as you're concerned, I think this is a really important month for you now. Uh, you, you, you've you've got your positions there in the playoff. Uh, you've got um, some decent games, but you know, the end of the month, you finish it off against Derby County, where you really want to be in a position to perhaps, you know. G- either be ahead of them by then as they at the moment in one of those two top spots?
13: Correct, Mark. And Dab is the only side what's beaten us away from home this season. And that's, I think, uh, in my lifetime, last time that was, was 1961. So on, under Collins, it, you know, it's his best away form we've ever had. Yeah. Uh, so, it, you know, we've got to keep that going. It's his home form, though, what's been a, uh, a bit dour. And we've got to put that to right on Saturday against the Leighton Orient. Yeah, you certainly have. Um, Ryan, I just come back to you as well with uh,
1: Bolton and what uh, what you're doing. You travel, obviously. Now, is that there's an awful lot of weekend and Tuesday nights, uh, as it always is. It's a it's a great league. I really feel that the league this season, um, the fans have uh, really taken to it again. There's a lot more now, uh, local people who want to get involved in their clubs, who perhaps in the past would have, you know well, just can't fork out the money for some of these ridiculous... Uh, even if they can get a ticket at a Premier League and what have you. And are you finding that at Bolton as well now? I mean, you've got to... You know, it's a great place. It's a club that we all remember uh, having done so well in the past that there are people coming back now again.
12: Yeah, um, to refer to Sharon Britton, our owner and Ian, uh, Ian Everett, they've, yeah. uh, they've done a tremendous job at sort of digging us up from... Obviously, everyone knows where we were. We had a... A countdown on that that other that other sports channel of uh, basically the club's demise and yeah. Ian Everett's been basically been given free reigns with the club and he's 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 pulled us up from the ashes. Yeah, it's uh, we're getting twenty thousand attendances again and like we didn't have that in some of our championship games. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a great place to be. Uh, the, the pressure of sort of getting back to where we want to be. It is making it, it every game so unenjoyable. It's unbelievable. You think being <laughs> up this part of the table would be would be fun? Uh, not not in the slightest. I think I've enjoyed one game all season.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know that's the whole beauty of this league, isn't it? You can, you you know, for some sides, you you get enjoyment towards the end when you know oh, we we've got over forty points now. We're, we we got hard, We're definitely staying up. How far can we get up? But looking at where it where it's all happening at the top you know you only need two or three wins to really believe or a couple of silly defeats and 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 you could be in trouble not in trouble but you're outside where you need to be for even a, a playoff place
12: yeah we're, we're playing with games in hand rather than points on the board. And at you've the got
1: you've got games in hand haven't you oh we've got three on Portsmouth who
12: are above us and it's there's too many what ifs, isn't there? You don't know. We're struggling with injuries and whatnot at the minute. It's, it, 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 yeah, it's keeping me up at night, put it that way.
1: <laughs> well, where, so? Are you, what are you like then when you're watching all of this? Is it, is it nerves from start to finish?
12: Yeah, yesterday it was terrible. Like it was really, really nervy. We we were passing the ball around at back, and they just sort of penned in, in our final quarter of the pitch, and uh, it, it it was very stressful. Fans shouting, uh, wanting us to hoof the ball at the pitch, and yeah, horrible.
1: <laughs> well, I tell you what, Alan, you look more my age as well. Uh, we've we've sort of seen it all before with uh, a young Ryan there, so uh, y- you'll have seen this many times, won't you?
13: We have, and going on about the crowd, uh, I mean, they got fifth highest yesterday, 21 I think, and yeah. we took 1,600, yeah. but we'd have took more. Uh, the cost, you're on about premiership, but a lot of our fans boycotted because it was £30 a ticket. Uh, that was expensive. Yeah. A few years ago at Doncaster, we did a protest, 20 is plenty,
0: yeah.
13: and uh, if you want fans in, you've got to get the price right, and, and that was a downer yesterday. I think.
1: Well, delighted to uh, go into League Two right now with Barrow against MK Dons this weekend. They played uh, each other, both of them uh, still with uh, aspirations of promotion from League Two into League One. And delighted to say that Chris Altree, uh, Chair uh, Proud Bluebirds, uh, is uh, uh, the Barrow man tonight. Good to have you with us, Chris. And uh, Liam Connolly, the MK1 podcast uh, from MK Dons and a very good evening to you too. And um, two sides in a, in a good position at this stage of the season. So um, Chris, I'm going to start with you. You, you, you managed in the end to uh, um, get w- w- what was important with uh, a late goal from uh, one of your low knees.
14: Yeah, it felt like one of them games where right? it didn't feel like either team were going to find that bit of magic to win the match. But Thankfully, we managed to just about get over the line and it was a fantastic finish. And obviously, that was a that was the biggest and only signing for us in January, getting Stockton on loan, who does score goals at this level. So, uh, thankfully, he's off the mark now and hopefully he can help with the rest of the team drivers onwards and uh, hopefully towards uh, exciting times coming here.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? Uh, we'll come back and talk more in detail, obviously, about Barrow, but uh, MK Dons as well important for you after what's been a a, a a tricky few seasons, really, in many ways?
15: Yeah, a lot, a lot of change um, in many ways. There's a lot of managers change. Obviously, Mark Jackson was here, Liam Manning was here, and now Graham Alexander, of course, before. And, of course, now it's Mike Williamson. Uh change of style again, also back to the more traditional style of football that mm-hmm. our club likes to operate in and possessive attacking football. And, um, yeah, I mean, Barrow, I've been built across their resilience this season. I, I lose them on you know, a home game all season, and they really showed that the weekend. And yeah, as 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 the Barry I mentioned, Cole and getting that goal. I mean, he's that's what he's there to do, really score goals for you. And I think that was such a key signing, despite being the only yeah. one to help them really push the top three.
1: Yeah, I mean that that that's the thing, isn't it? As uh, Liam's saying there, Chris. You know, if you get somebody in on loan like this uh, to do this, get himself off the mark nice and early. Thank you very much indeed.
14: Yeah, I mean, it was unexpected as well. You, you you don't think we're going to be able to get them type of players, but it shows the great work that our manager, Wilds doing in attracting attracting these quality players and obviously the board for allowing him to go out and get them because, you know, there is, I mean, I'm not afraid to say it, but there are bigger clubs out there. So it's always surprising when we're able to compete with these, you know, off the pitch as well as on the pitch in terms of getting strong players like that. For... I,
1: I think what's always important, actually, for clubs uh, lower down the leagues is to... Show that they have good habits, and they have a manager who understands that you know they'll look after the players that are coming on loan.
14: Yeah, and I think we do that really well here, and we and it tends to be a platform as well for players to you know re- rediscover themselves and to to push on, either with ourselves or further up you know in the football pyramid again.
1: And what are you expecting really at at MK Dons? You're you're back in this situation, Liam, uh, now where you've got every opportunity this season uh, after what has been a pretty difficult um, time of it, when you think about it, really, from when Gareth Ainsworth left?
15: Yeah, I mean, when, when, when Graham did leave for Bradford, it was it's a difficult one. Um, obviously, we knew that, we, we, I think we really believed the process at the start of the season, and we clearly see there was progression made there. But ultimately, once August passed on, the results weren't there and he had to move on. Um, so, obviously, with Mike Williamson coming in and changing again style of football as I mentioned I think I think playoffs has to be the at least the minimum at this point they are in there and we've got a very really decent squad I think January we recruited really really well mm. uh, and I think admittedly, on Saturday some of the signings we did have were kind of thrown into the Lions in a little bit um, I think there's plenty of chances to, to progress up to the table maybe even the top three depending on how those signings get on but yeah plenty of opportunity to get some more points
1: Six Nations uh, really started uh, over the weekend before we even get close to talking about that. George Shooter, the former England uh, rugby star, is with us and so too Sam Peters, a rugby writer with a very important, the book, Concussed, of course, as well. Sam, it's a delight to have you with us. Good evening to you. Evening, Mark. And to you, George, as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's part of the world when you get a little older... And you actually remember growing up with some of the great stars who are no longer with us. And um, today, we, you know, not so long ago, we lost J.P.R. Williams and today another great one. Uh, Somebody that you knew very well indeed in one of the best fly halves or standoffs. However, we want to talk about it in Barry John, the Welsh and uh, British Lion magician.
16: Yeah, good evening. I mean, yeah, the, the, um, Barry was was a, a fantastic player, without doubt, and it's mean, you know, fun enough, I think he finished his career before I was even born, but uh, he he uh, he dominated that, that Welsh team in the 60s and 70s, the Lions as well, uh, and he became become a friend, certainly a very good friend of my boss. I worked for an events company, and we've had him and JPR down on many occasions over the years. Uh, just, just great blokes, both of them, they're very, very similar in some ways, very different in other ways. JPR very sort of um confident and out and and loud and sort of almost uh, uh comfortable in the public eye Barry John not so much at all which is part of the reason he retired um uh, as a relatively young man he d- didn't enjoy the uh, the publicity and all that but um but a lovely lovely man uh, just a very very humble quiet guy he wouldn't you wouldn't know he was I mean looking at it when he was a player he was about uh, nine stone soaking wet and uh, just did not look like a rugby player at all especially in that sort of grizzly uh Grizzly Welsh team of the sixties and seventies, and um, but he never, never liked to shout about it at all. But told some fantastic stories. It was just a very, very nice bloke to talk to. Very normal, down to earth, and uh, and yeah, desperately sad to to lose yeah. both those two huge characters and two great players of the game in in such a short period of time.
1: Yeah. Now, Sam, you're too young for all of this, of course, but uh, <laughs> uh, I what what I do remember so very much was that Welsh side at a time when Six Nations was then Five Nations rugby and basically it was one of the few live sports we, we'd get on the VVC at the weekends like this. Yeah. So it was uh, yeah. it was something that you all watched and all enjoyed and, uh, and that combination, both of them at school in Cardiff together, even though Barry was a little older than Gareth uh, Edwards and then the two of them working so closely together to bring three triple crowns to that Welsh side and And also, you know, Barry John himself, 25 uh, internationals he played in the five tests when the British Lions beat the all conquering all blacks in that uh, early 70s, something very special indeed.
9: I mean, just one of the great rugby players of all time, without a doubt. You mentioned J. P. R. Williams, you know Barry John, 1971 Lions um, win in South in uh, New Zealand, rather will go down in in legend. And yeah, just to echo what George said. there's a ter- desperately sad time uh, to lose uh, arguably Wales' greatest ever fly half, and there's some pretty serious competition over the years for that for that call. But. Of all all the greats, Barry was was right up there, and uh, yeah, a very sad day for for Welsh rugby, and uh, obviously th- all our thoughts and condolences. With, and, with Barry and, just,
1: and George, finally, I know it was uh, before you were playing, but but really, uh, where we all remember it so so well was because of course this was amateur rugby uh, in those days, in slightly inverted commas, but it was, and uh, these guys would play uh, a lot of club rugby. They'd play midweek club rugby. They'd take on other sides they play against universities they play in the sort of uh showpiece games against the likes of oxford and cambridge university and the steel bodgers and other things it was still very much men that basically uh were stars at their own time and there was breathtaking to go and see them live
16: yeah I, and, and yeah there's always that sort of talk about how uh, I said I was talking about Barry John's uh, physique earlier on in the game and early on in the piece and people would probably say now he's too small to play now but you look at the skills those guys had you look at the, mm-hmm. the, the way they could pick up uh, the defences weren't quite as organised as they are now but the way they had knife for a gap and uh, Barry John was lightning off, off the mark as well he, he could he could hit a gap he could find someone else to get into the gap he scored tries he he put tries on um, and you just wonder what would happen if you could get guys like Barry, Barry John and JPR and Gareth Edwards if you could get him in the gym a bit and get them training full time get them into full time uh, rugby teams what sort of uh, yeah, what sort of level would they have reached? Um, and yeah, it's impossible to answer the question. But I mean, the 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 film doesn't really do them justice. They look great yeah. on film, but when you speak to people who played in that era and played against them, you, you get a real feel for the fact that they just just they were just so much better than everyone else. That, that's generally it. And fortunately for Wales at the time, they had sort of five or six guys who were the best players in their position in the world. Uh, and and Barry John was was certainly one of those. He, he yeah. was just a, a different era of rugby, as you say. Well, I mean. Proper amateurs; they weren't actually paid anything. They, I think, yeah. the Lions got about uh, two pound a day uh, as, as expenses. And genuinely, if, if you were found to be getting boot money, you were kicked out of the game. Yeah. So those guys played it as as uh, as as amateurs in but, no, no commas needed. They were proper amateurs.
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean, for me, uh, in the seventies, I, I was at school, but. Uh, I lived in Cambridge and uh, Cambridge University, like Oxford University, used to play against all these great sides in midweek on a Tuesday. And yeah. I often saw um, these great stars uh, at Grange Road in those days, uh, not just playing in the, uh, as I mentioned, the Mickey Steele-Bodgers game, but when, when their club came to play against Cambridge University, who had some top stars at the, at the same time. And it was... It was free flowing rugby it was it was it was just fantastic you just always knew that somebody would put in a performance
16: yeah, well, they used to play the uh, touring sides. Of the great that great historic game where Flintheley uh, beat Munster, uh, so beat the All yeah, Blacks. Yeah, gosh, yeah. Drank the, uh, drank the valleys dry. Max Boyce wrote a song about it. I mean, <laughs> well, it's a different era of rugby. You're playing sort of 45, 50 games a year. Some of those guys, and as you say, they they'd go go from work to train on a Tuesday and Thursday night. They'd mm. go from work on a Saturday sometimes to play in the afternoon. In the afternoon, down the, the club. So yeah, just. Uh, yeah, a different, different era, different era, completely different era to obviously to what we're used to these days. But yeah. uh, but great, I mean, great players, great players.
1: Always after a World Cup, it's very much a, a new beginning and a and a new start. And Italy gave England the sort of test they really probably needed, didn't they, George?
16: Yeah, I, I think Italy have, have have done this many for many years now. They, they they've always got one or two games in them. Uh, they've no, they've never beaten England. I hasten to add, that's the they're the they're the only Five Nations team they haven't beaten. Um, but I, I think it it must be a bit frustrating. I uh, the, the Italians did they, they, they still lack the uh, sort of that killer instinct, the, the ability to really consistently put eighty minutes together week after week, uh, as as do many teams. To be fair, yeah, that's how you win tournaments. As how you as how you win a lot of games. But um, I, I think it was it was a real good, real good start for England. It, 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 a team, the team was. Was largely quite new and uh, obviously some new caps, but new co- new combinations as well. People are not necessarily played in positions and played together together, to, together previously. So um, yeah, it's not a bad knockout, but a bad hit out for England. And yeah, they went ten nil down and and showed a lot of composure. Tough place to play. You know, Rome Rome's a fantastic stadium. The the fans are incredibly passionate, um, and the, the 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 team's pretty good. So that that ten nil deficit early on could have been for for a sort of lesser a lesser team could have been significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but England, England held the composure, clawed their way back into it, scored some nice tries, played some nice rugby. Uh, I guess probably Italy will take the uh, the plaudits for for being plucky and and you know, not 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 giving up. But England got the win, and that's you know that's uh, round one done, um, vi- uh, victory and uh, mission accomplished.
1: So Sam, from a the, a writing perspective here, you know there were five debutants in this England side. They. It wasn't all plain sailing by any means, was it? And in the end, there was a lot of kicking that needed uh, to be done uh, late on um, uh, to help them uh, get this win under their belts. And it was vital for the, the whole of the management team.
9: Yeah, I mean, first up defeat to Italy in the, uh, having, especially having said such poor starts in the last four tournaments, England first well, it's the first they one they've one won the in five, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that, let's get that one out of the way. Um, you know, and I think encouragingly for England, although, as you said, there are several uh, debutants, but, you know, f- excellent performance from Marotoja. I thought uh, Jamie George, first game as captain, tremendous uh, win for him, but. Um, you know, I think there's a, a heck of a lot more to come from England. There needs to be, um, you know, obviously disappointing performances during the World Cup, although they they hung in there. But um, you know, look at the way Ireland played on on Friday night. That's the bar every other team's going to measure themselves by. And uh, quite frankly, they were playing on a different different planet to everyone else. It was exceptional what Ireland did to France on on Friday night.
1: Mm. Well, we'll come on and talk about uh, all of that in a moment. Just George, one one more on England here. At this stage as well. You know, this is over half the side different from what they had at the World Cup. How will uh, Borthwick feel that first game has gone and where he expects under pressure now um, to continue this Six Nations tournament?
16: Well, like I said, so I think it's a, a win. He'll be very happy having having a win first out. Uh, there haven't been many under his tenure. Uh, as we've said, in, in the Six Nations, they've not started the Six Nations very well in the last few years. So that's, first and foremost, that's, that's the important thing. They've got to win. Uh, the performance, there's some good, some bright spots, as you say. Some, most of the debutants, I think all the debutants actually probably stood up and, and were counted and, and, and uh, had decent games. Some of them are better than decent games. Um, yeah, the, the set piece was good, scrum line out again Italy, perhaps not the best line out forwards but uh, a decent scrum and, and they were a distant second best in in the set piece um, I think England's attacking game is certainly a little bit better than it has been uh, of late, um, again taking your position into account, Italy aren't, any, aren't mugs, they're there, there are genuinely um, uh, some good players in that team. So to actually score, score some nice tries, that's a good, that's a good thing. But uh, as Sam said, there, there's a long way to go. They, they, you know, he said uh, Ireland set the bar very high. I don't think England can see the bar right now. It's, <laughs> it's that high. Um, and actually, I think the French, the French are probably still there despite what happened on Friday. I think the French are still as uh, 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 still I mean the stats will show that they're still a top 3 a top 4 team in the world with their rankings but i think they're still a very very good team and i think ireland and, and france are still quite a way ahead of the rest i look at scotland i look at wales uh, actually and they they they're, they're they're probably nearer to wearing England are. i don't think even they're quite the mm-hmm. scotland's level even um, and the, again previous results prior results will tell you that so I, I think that's probably yeah, all in all f- from a tricky sort of potential banana skin first up Borthwick's probably got a lot out of it he's got the win he's got some encouraging performances but he also he knows he's got a bit of a blueprint now as to what we've done well what we need to work on and and I think he's, he's probably sort of finally got the coaching group he needs together to, to, to execute all that
1: And uh, one of the highlights for me was when Bill Ribbons asked me if I was interested in writing a book with him. Uh, Bill, of course, who's uh, one of the great orthopaedic surgeons, who's uh, operated on many a top sporting superstar, as well as ballet dancers and everybody else. And um, uh, Knife in the Fast Lane is his autobiography and uh, well worth the read. And uh, he's put up with me for a book that we decided to get together, the definitive look on sports and the plague of COVID. A plague on all our sports when COVID and sport collided. Delighted to say Prof. Bill is uh, with us. Um, I've got a few copies of these because it's uh, it's launched on uh, in a couple of days' time. Bill, have you seen a book yet? No, they still haven't,
8: my copies still haven't come through yet, so I'm looking <laughs> forward to it.
1: Uh, I tell you what, you know, just just looking back on on, on everything with that and um, something worth to to start with us. So, uh, in the end, it, it's an extraordinary story. This one, all round, isn't it? And how sport at the forefront had to cope in so many different ways.
8: Yeah, I mean, just uh, listening to uh, to George and Sam speaking and talking about the uh, Wales Scotland match, it took me back to four years ago. Um, that uh, fateful day Friday the 13th of March um, uh, Wales were playing Scotland as they did yesterday Um, the authorities had said in the morning um, that the game's going ahead Uh, the sides did their final training runs together, came back in, ready to go back to their hotels to rest and suddenly they said it was all off, Mm -hmm. and of course at the same time the uh, Premier League um, announced that they were suspending uh, Premier League football and really the uh, the house of sports the whole edifice just collapsed that weekend and so you know kind of going going back and looking at that well scotland match yesterday it made me think of four years ago
1: mm. what was also uh, for me extraordinary at that time and for both of us in our different fields i remember you getting on the phone to me very early on and saying uh, you know what mark uh, don't fly if you can help it and uh, vitamin d uh, could be a vital part of all of this and uh, and with with that knowledge um, even for me going to that first game that I did when really knew something was up in the FA Cup down at Portsmouth against Arsenal there were there were thoughts and rumors about Arsenal and Arteta and whether they'd caught covid already we didn't really know too much about it and there was there was the, the, a sort of feeling of of the unknown really right from the very start and you know, f- for the way that you've detailed so much for us, for all of us, vitally, which I think is the best of it. it this isn't a diary, it's a story. And uh, but everything is all encompassing in here. And this it's an extraordinary um, a, a book in many ways as to people can dip in and out of the sports they love and understand how some of them managed to get through. But with what for many individual sportsmen and women was a real loss of what they had planned at the time.
8: Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, for any elite athlete, and of course, the book not only just deals with elite athletes, it talks about everybody, you know, from you and I going to the gym to what happened to kids. But for elite athletes, you know, 2020, we were going to have the Euros, we were going to have the Olympics. I mean, it was going to be a fantastic summer of sport. And but for the elite athletes, their timetables, their training programs, you know, they're mapped out, you know, to the nth degree. And suddenly the whole thing was up in the air. Uh, and as we know, particularly for Olympians, uh, many of them just get one shot at an Olympics as every four years. There's no guarantee that the form they were bringing into 2020 would be there when they announced it would be held um, a year later. There, there was so much concern, you know, over and above all the concerns that everybody had about their own health, their family's health and their finances. So it was an incredibly worrying time. And Mm. just just the fact that you're an elite athlete doesn't make you resilient to worries about what this coronavirus was likely to do to themselves and their sports.
1: And of course, one of the other things that you said nearly straight away when everything was beginning to fall around everybody, that there is no certainty as an individual sportsman or woman at the very highest level that you're going to be right a year after, let's say, the the moment that you'd spent your life waiting for. Yeah, I mean,
13: I
8: always think back to Dina Asher-Smith, you know, that uh, wonderful sprinter. I mean, she was world champion um, in the sprints in the uh, World Athletics Championships in 2019. She was almost certainly you know, going to be featuring in the medals in Tokyo 2020. Um, but then it was postponed a year, she got a a muscle strain, she didn't compete in the uh in the individual events, she managed to get around and get, I think, a bronze in the in the relay. Uh but but her life and potential life after sport changed, you know, because of the fact she couldn't give as she probably did in 2020. Or what also done.
1: changed as well was, in fact, an awareness of sportsmen and women who were suddenly in bubbles rather than dressing rooms to keep going. I mean, English cricket was very much involved in all of
4: this.
8: Yeah, I mean, you could say that English English cricket at international level was one of the success stories of 2020. Um the whole cricketing edifice in this country really depends on international cricket and the money that goes down from the ECB to the counties. Um, and they decided to, rightly, to prioritise men's test cricket. There was very little women's cricket played in 2020. Uh, they made these two citadels in Hampshire and Lancashire. Uh, but we know that they didn't have any, any COVID cases. Incredible. Injuries were reasonably well um, kept under control but we know in the long term and going through beyond 2020 into 2021 uh, when people were really starting to get mental fatigue that it really took its toll so what we've learned is is, is that balance you know between uh, looking after the players protecting them but also the effect that it has on all of them that their mental state which of course will affect their performance uh,
1: the performances worldwide were something that Uh, We were very keen to to make this the the global play. And of course, one of the other success stories late on was the NBA and the basketballers um, using Disney as their base for the playoffs. So they, too, came out of it all um, with no tests positive in that important time for them.
8: Yeah, I, I think that was one of the fascinating uh, things about the research for this book, was to look at how other countries, Australasia, America, Europe, had coped. And as you say, that the, the NBA was very interesting. If you recall at the time, Project Restart, the police wanted uh, neutral venues. There was talks about all the players going into hotels, and the Premier League was having none of it, uh, and the players weren't. Uh, the NBA, like a lot of the American sports, they told the, the players what they were doing you're going to go to disney in florida and you're going to stay in a hotel away from your family for months and what we've found is what's happened subsequently um, when they've looked at the injury rates the injury rates went right down even though the games were more concertina and the view is is that the players were not crisscrossing america the games they were sleeping properly they were recovering properly and therefore the injuries went down and it was very interesting when you compare the statistics with the NBA going into a normal season when the injuries went straight back. And of course, what happened to the Premier League and the Bundesliga when you're looking at elite football. So some very interesting comparisons to make with how other countries Mm. and other sports cope with this.
1: And of course, the, the following this through, we, we, Uh, wanted to add uh, very much uh, what the government was doing, what those that said they were doing, our major sport of football that finished in the end with the Euros having been delayed a year as well. And, you know, the things that they promised and actually delivered, which um, those stories are told in detail too.
8: Yeah, I mean, Mark, you and I are very lucky. You know, we have access to uh, to, to people and... uh, and events that um others may not be privy to and you know we were able to talk to people who were in conversations with government you of course were speaking to all the managers all the time and we could we knew what was going on and i think it was interesting how how the government pivoted on football i mean to begin with you know there was these arguments about clubs trying to furlough staff about whether um the players should be taking uh cuts to support the the cause. But within a couple of months, they really wanted football back. Uh, I think the government were concerned about social unrest. People were getting fed up uh, with isolation. They were concerned about uh, domestic issues and they needed something for the population to watch. So they pivoted very quickly and wanted football back on the screens.
1: Brilliant stuff, uh, Bill. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I will speak more to you on many other different subjects as well. But a plague on all our sports when Covid and sport collided. The real story of all of us, not just of the sportsmen and women and the politicians, but how we all coped and some incredible moments as well. Um, The book is uh, launched in a couple of days time. Waterstones, Amazon, all good bookshops. Um, Dip in and see it. I'm not asking you to buy it. But, you know, it is something I think that you will understand and resonate with over three and a half years of extraordinary moments in sport. Well, these are great times as far as I'm concerned for test cricket at the moment. I know that people are wondering where it's going to go, but where it's going at the moment in this second test is to another great finish. India are in control of this one at the moment, but England's still very much involved. Uh, I'll give you the scores. India 396 and 255 all out. England 253, of course, and 67 for one with Ben Duckett out late on the third day, um, being set what is uh, one run under 400 to uh, win. And uh, Crawley is 29, England 67 for one. And uh, he's in alongside uh, Rehan Ahmad uh, on nine. So Neil Burns and Angus Fraser. I mean, it's been a, it's a delight. I mean, you can forget about West Ham United at the moment, Neil. Just think of cricket.
17: <laughs> Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Um, yeah, look, it's a wonderful time for test match cricket and hopefully England can continue to be magicians and come up with the world record performance tomorrow. And I'm absolutely thrilled how well um, these young spinners are, are doing and the confidence that they're being shown by captain Ben Stokes. And hopefully that will um, continue onto the batting performance tomorrow. And it might be that Zach Crawley Produces an all-time career-best performance tomorrow, so I'm optimistic, but the professional in me says I think it's going to be a bridge too far.
1: And just with that in mind as well, uh, Angus. Although yeah, the spinners are doing fantastically. An important early uh, spell from Jimmy Anderson as well. I was really pleased about that.
18: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was a selector in twenty till 2018, and. Uh, back then we were sort of thinking we've got to move on from Jimmy uh, he hasn't got long left in him and uh and this part of me for a period of time sort of thinking do we need to move on do we need to make that big step and uh and get some over some miles into the next Jimmy Anderson as and such but uh every time you doubt this fella he, he 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 produces something doesn't he that sort of um makes your previous sort of thoughts look look foolish at times and again uh, he's out there in India, All right. There's a little bit more in this pitch than the previous test, as Boomer sort of helped uh, highlight in in well in England's first innings. But uh, he's bowled beautifully. He gives control, takes wickets. he's well, he's a class act. You don't get the t- you don't take as many wickets as he's done if you're not a class act. And he's just a, a brilliant uh, one of the all-time greats, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he is. Uh, One other thing, though, uh, Neil, that uh, you always need, really, to uh, back up your bowlers is um, a top wicketkeeper. And I think you've been saying it all the way along. And I think Folks has been excellent behind the stumps.
17: I think he's been outstanding. I mean, two of the catches he's taken stood up to the stumps against the spinners. Um, The under edge, which requires the keeper to stay as low as possible for as long as possible, um, confirmed his class. But I think also a lot of the um, general takes that don't necessarily bring a dismissal, but just highlight his quality. So a f- number of balls that show Bashir bowled, spun big and went down the leg side and Ben folks took them with relative ease. And I think the quality of the catching around the bat is fundamental to a successful cricket team and Ollie Pope has proved that as well hasn't he in, in his quality um, in the first Test match Johnny Bairstow took a, a good catch today mm. so I think some of England's cricket has there's been a lot to be pleased about and I think it does come
1: from the quality of the wicket keeping that's it for this episode of Back of the Stand and thank you to all my guests and most importantly to you hope we've given you something to speak about Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. So from me, Mark Saggers, we'll take that step up to the back of the stand next time. Goodbye.
0: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim?